Matthew 14, and if you cast your eye to verse 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitude away. This is just after the feeding of the 5,000. It was there where the Lord Jesus, he fed the people and he filled the baskets. You cast your eye quickly back to verse 20. It says, And they did all eat and were filled. You know, dear friend, this morning, I don't know what your need is here. I don't know what sort of a heart you have in this gathering. Maybe it's a broken heart. Maybe it's a bruised heart. But I want to say that the Lord is able to meet the need of your soul today. Over 5,000 men and women, it says that they were filled filled. Not only did he fill the people, but he filled the baskets and they took up of the remnants that remained twelve baskets full. And you know, in John's gospel, it tells us that these people, because the Lord had blessed them and filled them, they were going to take him and make him king. The people were after the physical blessing of the Lord. And the Lord Jesus knew that his time had not yet come. The Lord Jesus hadn't come to start up an earthly kingdom. He had come to go the way of the cross. He had came from heaven to earth to bleed and to die. There's coming a day when he's going to come as king. He's going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years in this old world. But here his time was not yet come. There's a timing for everything. Verse 22 again. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side. And while he sent the multitude away, and when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. I want to say to your friends this morning, That's one of the greatest needs among us as the people of God. One of the greatest needs among us in these days is to come apart from the things of the world and to pray. And here the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin, did no sin, and in him was no sin. Many times he had to retreat to pray. I want to say to your friends this morning, that's what you and I need to do every day. He went up onto the mountain to pray, verse 23 again, and when evening was come, he was there alone. Alone. Oh, I say to you this morning, dear child of God, get alone. Get alone. In this day of busyness, in this day of of oh, so many things to do in her schedule, just to get alone with God. And that's what the Lord Jesus is showing us here, just a, a pattern of what way he, he formatted his day. And you and I, as the people of God, we need to go the way that the Master trod. We, we need to come apart. And we need to get alone. 
We need to be men and women that spend time with God. Verse 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. That word tossed there is the word distressed. It's the word that can be translated to be battered, to be pushed about. One, one commentator said that this ship was almost in danger of overturning. And I want you to see just for a moment these disciples in the midst of the sea, they were blown off course. I wonder, have you been blown off course? I wonder this morning as you sit in the house of God, has, have you been blown off your spiritual course? It's very easy to be blown off course. Very easy to be diverted. Very easy to grow cold in the things of God. And these disciples out in the sea, in the midst of the sea, I tell you they were in distress and they were battered. One of the other Gospels tells us that they were toiling. The word is they were struggling. Now I wonder if I was to get off this pulpit this morning and I was to come down and sit beside you and put my arm around your shoulder. I wonder would you be struggling this morning? Struggling. Struggling in your work. Struggling in your home. Struggling with your health. Well, here were disciples in the midst of the sea and they were struggling. They were in distress. Psalm 107 tells us about those in the storm who were at their wit's end. Their wit's end. I would say there's a few people in this hall this morning and you know what it is to be at wit's end. Wit's end. It goes on and says in verse 24 again, and for the wind was contrary. The wind was blowing in their face. This was a gale. This was no ordinary storm. This was a gale that arose while these men were out in the ship, out in the sea. They were facing fierce opposition. I want to tell you, if you begin to do the will of God, it will not be long till you start to face opposition. The wind was contrary. It was in their face. It was blowing and pushing against them. And you and I, as the people of God, know what it is to push against the world. We know what it is to push against the wind of trial and storm and affliction. Circumstances can soon change. Only a few hours before these men were standing watching the hand of the Lord provide for the thousands. And times can soon change. And you could be in this very meeting this morning and you could be having, as I say, riding the crest of the, of the wave of your spiritual experience. And before you maybe leave this hall this morning, you could go out into a storm or a gale. Times of triumph can soon turn to times of trial. The blessings can soon turn to blasting. The songs can soon turn to sobs. And here were disciples out in the storm. Saints struggling in the storm. 
I wonder, are you in a storm this morning? I wonder what storm you're in here today. Maybe it's a financial storm. And you get the little letter through the letterbox with a wee window on it and it's a brown envelope and there's bills that are coming in and you can't pay them and you can't meet them. And you've maybe been lying in your bed at night worrying and it's been tormenting you, distressing you, battering you. And the wind is contrary. Maybe it's not a financial storm you're in. What about a marital storm? Things between you and your husband, they're not the way they used to be. Maybe your wife doesn't seem to be interested in you the way she used to be. In that relationship in the home, there's friction and there's tension. And the children don't see it and no one else sees it. But deep down in your soul this morning, you know there's something that has come between you and your husband or between you and your wife. And there's a storm and it's just starting to brew. The wind's just starting to blow. The gale's just starting to rise. What about a parental storm? Some of you mothers here this morning know what it is. Whenever you're looking after your children, the nappy needs to be changed, the bottle needs to be filled. There's a cry goes up. Maybe you have a wayward daughter. Maybe you have a wayward boy. And you brought them up in the things of God. You brought them up in the fear and admiration of the Lord. But this morning they've no desire for the things of God. This morning they're out in the mountains wild and bare. And deep down in your soul there's a storm beginning to brew. The gale's just starting to blow. What about a mental storm? I wonder, is there anyone here, and you know what it is for that cloud of darkness to descend upon you just in a moment? That heaviness, maybe that cloud of depression that comes and goes and has been tormenting you in the storm is just starting to rise. No one else knows anything about it here this morning. The gales just starting to blow in your face. The wind was contrary. They were struggling. Just ready to turn over. Their lives were in jeopardy. What about a physical storm? You go to a health center. You go to see the doctor over something small and it turns out to be something big. Maybe you're in your room and you're changing and you see a lump. And the gale starts to blow. It's just starting to rise. The wind's just starting to pick up its speed and force. I want to say there's maybe some in this gathering and it's not a financial or a marital or a parental or a mental or a physical. It's maybe a spiritual storm you're in. You get down in the morning and you begin to pray and you can't pray. You get down and you open the Bible and it's dry, it's dry, it's dry. You wonder why others can get more out of the Scriptures than what you can. And the love for the Lord has began to grow cold in your soul. The Lord has lost that strange attraction that He used to draw. And there's a gale and it's just starting to rise. The storm. You remember what Paul said. Without were fightings. But within were fear, the storm. Now I want to say this morning before I go on, well, if you're in a storm, there's one thing that you need to do. 
You need to discover the source of the storm. Now let me say that again. You need to discover the source of the storm. Because there's not all, all storms don't just come from the same place. So often, whenever we're in the trial and in the affliction, we're so quick to blame the enemy. We're so quick to blame the devil. We're so pl- quick to fire out the accusation that this is, a, this is a demonic attack. But I want to tell you, dear friends, you remember Jonah. You remember Jonah, the man of God. And the Lord told him to go to Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go. And he went down to Tarshish and he got down into a boat. And he went out into the Mediterranean Sea and the gale began to rise. The storm began to come. Jonah was away down in the side of the boat and he was asleep. And you remember how the mariners, it says they were afraid. These were men that were accustomed to the sea. These were men that knew what it was to be in a storm but they'd never seen a storm like this. I want to say the source of that storm was was Jonah himself. And there's times as you and I, as the people of God, we can wander from the Lord. We can walk into bypass meadows. We can go into areas of disobedience in our life that no one else knows anything about it. And God can rise a storm. Storm. And you'll remember, of course, the way back in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. The Lord Jesus was going across the sea, Lake of Galilee, going across to the Gadarenes, going there to meet the man that was possessed with a legion of demons. And it says whenever he was in the boat, he was in the hinder part of the ship, and he was asleep. And it says there was a storm that arose. It says it was a great storm. And the water filled the boat. And I want to tell you, dear friends, this morning, that wasn't himself, that was Satan. Satan. We need to know whenever the enemies at work. But this storm here in Mark, Matthew 14 is not Satan. And it's not self. It's the sovereignty of God. God put these, the Lord put these disciples out into the storm. He told them to go out into the sea. He constrained them to get into the ship. I'm sure whenever these disciples were getting into the boat, they said to themselves, this is going to be a fair easy crossing tonight. I'm sure whenever they got into the boat that night, they said, well, this is going to be a real tranquil, a tranquil night in the sea. The Lord, we're in the center of the will of the Lord. He's told us to go and we're going to go. And they were no longer out till the storm began to rise and the gale began to blow. And at times in the center of the will of God, it's then that the storms come the fiercest. It's saying that the gales blow the hardest. And these men were out in the ship. And the Lord could have said to them, as he said in John 13, What I do now thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. Mother, in the meeting this morning, maybe God's saying that to you, What I do now thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. There's a purpose for the storm. There's a purpose for the gale. And these men went out into the boat. But you know, while they were out in the storm, the Lord was on top of the mountain. I want to say, dear child, this morning, that ought to encourage our heart. These twelve men were out in the storm. And the Lord was on the mountain top. 
interceding and praying and pleading their cause. In Mark's gospel, it says, and he saw them. He saw them. He saw them struggling. He saw them toiling. They saw them being weary and wet and worn out. And he saw them. And dear child in the meeting this morning, he sees you. You remember Hagar, woman that was mistreated in the home of Abraham and Sarah. Had we Egyptian slave. And she ran away out into the backside of the wilderness. She sat down weeping and crying with the tears coming out of her eyes. And it was there that the Lord met her. And she said, Thou God seest me. You're in the storm maybe this morning. And no one else sees. The family's not aware of it. Your wife's maybe not even aware of it. Your, your, your children are maybe not even aware of it. But I want to say the one that saw Hagar away out in the wilderness... The one who from the mountain top saw the disciples in the storm. He can see you. They couldn't see him. But he could see them. You know, we Emily there, she's starting to sit in her high chair. And I reach here in the kitchen at times I set her in and I had to go out the other morning and I had to open and let the dog out. And she was sitting in this wee strap and she, she struggles. She tries to get out of it. Moving her wee hands, looking all around. And I stood out the other morning and let the dog out, and I was looking through the window at her. But she couldn't see me. But I could see her. And dear child, this morning, just as you struggle, just as the gales blow and the waves rise and the storms are facing into you this morning, just as I was able to look through that window and look at Emma. I want to tell you as a heavenly father who can look out of the portals of heaven and he knows exactly where you are, whatever your storm may be. Whatever your storm may be. And here the Lord Jesus, if you cast your eye again to verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, to tell me that that's between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning, the darkest hour of the night, the darkest hour of the night. Maybe you've had a period in your life and you would have to say, Stephen, this is the darkest, hardest period I've ever been in before. The darkest hour of the night, the fourth watch of the night. They were at least nine hours out in this storm. As I said earlier, they were weary, they were wet, they were weak. It was dark. All hope seemed to be gone. Well, dear child, listen to this this morning. If you remember nothing else that I say, it was at this very time that the Lord came walking on the water. On the, in the darkest hour of the night, the fourth watch of the night. And I wrote down this the other day, it's often in the darkest hour, in the greatest storm, and in the hardest of trials, that the Lord comes the closest. Oh, I, you didn't think of that whenever you're lying in bed during the week with the tears coming out of your eyes. You didn't think of that whenever you're trying to scrape up enough money to pay the bills. You maybe didn't think of that whenever you, you got the report from the doctor. But it's the darkest hours when the Lord comes the closest. 
And I remember whenever I got saved, just the way back in the early days, I remember reading Matthew 14, and I still have it in the Bible, in a bit of pencil, that God put them into an incubator for blessing. And God can soon turn the sobs back to songs again. He can soon turn the blastings back to blessings. He can soon, soon turn the trials back into triumph again. Oh, thank God it's always darkest before the dawn. Cast your eye to verse 25 again. Jesus went on to them. I'm glad he didn't send an angel. I'm glad he didn't send some other representative from heaven. The Lord himself came. The Lord himself. The Lord drew near in the darkness. Let me stop there for a wee moment or two. There's three times in the word of God whenever the Lord drew near in the darkness. There's many more, but I want to just lift out three. You'll remember way back in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham. He had come back from the the battle of the kings. Lot was taken captive. And Abraham gathered his men, 318 of them, and they went out and they recovered Lot. And they gathered all the men and women of Sodom and brought them back again, delivered them. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham must have been lying in bed at night. He must have been worrying. I don't know when it was. But the Lord came and said, Abraham, fear not. I am thy shield and exceeding great reward. A few few verses later, Abraham built an altar unto the Lord. He got the turtle doves, he got the pigeons, he got the bullocks, and he divided them and set them upon an altar. You eat it whenever you go home. And whenever Abraham had set everything on the altar, it says that the sun went down, and a horror of great darkness came upon him. This was a darkness that Abraham, I believe, could feel. The blessings now turned to blasting. And Abraham, it says, when the sun went down, an horror of great darkness fell upon him. And dear child, it was at that very hour when the Lord came and made a covenant with Abraham that's still being fulfilled on this very day. In the darkness... The horrors of the darkness. He couldn't even see the stars. You remember the Lord told Abraham to look up and see the stars. Well, I want to tell you, he couldn't see the stars that night. Couldn't see the promises of God being fulfilled that night. Maybe the Lord has given you a promise for your family, a promise for your child, and this morning it seems so far from being fulfilled. Well, it was in the darkest hour whenever the Lord came to Abraham. What about in Genesis chapter 20? Genesis chapter 20, there's a wee woman. I'd love to have seen her. And I wonder, is there a wee woman here this morning? And the Lord had done a mighty work in her life. The Lord had delivered her from seven devils, seven demons. And on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the sepulcher. While it was yet early, it says, and it was dark. You see this wee woman making her way up to the garden tomb in the darkness. It was there where she said, Where have you laid them? They've taken away, my Lord. And there's the sweet woman standing alone in the darkness. It was then that the Savior came. And she supposing him to be the gardener, then he said unto her, Mary, down in the darkness. What about Acts chapter 27? 
Paul on his way to Rome. It was there where he was out in the Mediterranean and the south wind blew softly. And the gale began to rise and the storm began to blow. And it says that the sun or stars were seen for many days. For 14 days they never seen the sun or the stars. And it says that all hope was taken away. I want to say it was in that very hour that the angel of the Lord came. Down in the darkness. It was then that the angel of the Lord said, Fear not, Paul, in the darkest hour. You cast your eye again to verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, in the darkest part of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And the very thing that was causing the problem was under the feet of the Savior. I was in a prayer meeting the other night down outside Mockerfeld. And an old man, he must be over 80, he stood to his feet. And this is what he prayed. He says, Lord, everything that's against me has a name. Everything that is against me has a name. But I thank you tonight, Lord, that your name is the name above all names. And everything's under your foot. Oh, thank God for that this morning. And whatever's against you and whoever's against you, I want to say there's one who's greater and mightier than the storm and the trial and the affliction. And at times the devil can come and he can whisper in your ear and he can accuse you. But I want to say while the devil is mighty, I want to tell you that there's one who's almighty. And I can call him a father. And he's the one that comes the closest in the darkness whenever no one else can come. He's the one that comes in the storm and never no one, no one else even knows where we are, away out in the sea. Who else would have knew where to go? He knew the very place where they were at. And he came to them walking on the water. And let's look at it again, verse, verse 26. And when the disciples saw him, our friend this morning, would to God, I would say this morning from this soul, would to God that you'll see him. See him this morning. Get your eye from the storm onto the Savior. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it is the Spirit. And they cried out for fear. You know the most sad thing about this whole story is that these disciples didn't even expect him to come. They didn't expect I would say there's someone here in this gathering and that's maybe just the terminology you've been using. He's forsaken me. God has forsaken me. Has he? Because he hadn't forsaken these men. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He didn't forsake them and he'll not forsake you. They didn't expect him to come. And they didn't recognize him whenever he did come. We need to be aware of when the Lord is drawing near. Cast your eye again, verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear, but straightway Jesus spake unto them. This man that was on the mountain, this man that was praying for these men in the storm came walking on the water with a word for their soul. A word. 
Look at the word that he gives them. In verse 27 again, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Mother in the meeting this morning, out in the darkness, out with all the accusations of the enemy, be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And the sickness can come, and the trials can come. But I thank God this morning, he's with us in the midst of it all. Be of good cheer. I'm sure whenever you were at school, whenever somebody's birthday, you remember the teacher used to say three cheers. Three cheers. Well, I want to say to your child of God, and the Lord has blessed my heart through this, this week, there's three cheers in the word of God. Three cheers. And I don't want you to turn to them, but I want you to listen to them. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, there was a young man and he was sick of the palsy. You remember they dropped him down through the roof. And the Lord Jesus said to this young man, Be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven thee. That's a good cheer, isn't it? Oh, you're in the storm and you're in the trial. Here's something to encourage you this morning. Be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven thee. That's a good cheer of forgiveness. A good cheer. I'm glad I'm forgiven. I'm glad there's a day in my life when I repented of my sin. Asked the Lord Jesus to save me. And just in that moment, a miracle happened. And I've never been the same ever again. I'm forgiven. But thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. Be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven thee. Remember John 16? The Lord says, In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. Good cheer for forgiveness. And there's a good cheer for the foe. I have overcome the world. And the devil will come, and he has come to many of you during the week. But I want to tell you, there's a conqueror this morning that's on the throne. And I have overcome the world. And just as Billy prayed on Tuesday night, Lord, everything against me has a name. But I praise you tonight that your name is a name that's above every name. And that your name every knee shall bow. And here in Matthew 14, this is a good cheer for fear. A good cheer for fear. Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. The Amplified Version, I was reading it yesterday, said this is the I am. I am. Be of good cheer. I am. Remember the I am? The I am that came away out into the wilderness whenever Abraham was looking after the sheep. I am that I am. The mighty God appeared in the storm. Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. The psalmist says, Thou rulest the raging of the sea. And you could be in this very congregation and the, the, the sea has been raging. The wind has been blowing. The storm has been rising. But thou art he that rulest the raging of the sea. Verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee in the water. I say to you, dear child, this morning, 
men and women have lambasted Peter and said he was just trying to show himself bigger than every other disciple in the boat. Trying to show off. But I believe this man, Peter, you know, he wanted to do something for God. I wonder, do you want to do something for God? In the midst of the storm and in the midst of the trial, when the situation seemed to be dire, here was a man with all of his faults and flaws, wanted to do something for God. I wonder, do you want to do something for God? I wonder, do you want to go into heaven with that abundant entrance and say, Lord, I've lived and burnt out my life for you. Here was Peter, he said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. He wanted to be close to the Lord. He wanted to be where the Lord was. On land or sea, what matters where, where Jesus is, tis heaven there. And here was Peter, he said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee in the water. He didn't want to miss his opportunity. Now, friend, listen to this as I come to a close. Don't miss your opportunity to do something for God in your life. Don't miss your opportunity to do something for God in your life. Something that he has for you to do that no one else can do. Don't miss it. Because Peter here, he wanted to do He wanted to do something for the Lord. In verse 29, and he, that's Jesus, said, come, come. Just one word. This not only was an invitation, but this was a command. Now, I wonder what God has been telling you to do in recent days. I wonder where the Lord has been telling you to go in recent days. Maybe as he would stand around this table this morning with the broken bread and the wine that represents his blood, you know what he would say to every child of God in this house? Come. Come. Come around this table and remember me. Come. Maybe there's some here and you're not baptized. And you're afraid of your family and you're afraid of what others will say. And the Lord would stand beside this tank for the 27th of this month. And you know what he would say? He would say, come. Come. Just one word. Maybe he would say to some soul in the meeting, and you've been drifting about for years in different assemblies all over the place. And you've all of your excuses why you'll not put your roots down in a local assembly. And he would maybe stand in the lifeboat and this is what he'd say, Come. Come. Come on in. You see, whenever Peter got this one word, he didn't remonstrate. Whenever Peter got this word, he obeyed straight away. If you want, and I want blessing in my life, dear child, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust And obey. John could say in his epistle, Hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Samuel could say to Saul, he says, Disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft. For God will have obedience above sacrifice. And I want to say, dear child, that Northern Ireland is full of disobedient believers. 
disobedient believers. And we cannot get blessing any other way but obeying the voice of the Lord. Whatever God has told you to do, that's not my concern this morning. And he would say, come in whatever area of your life that he's saying it. Obey, 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 obey. He giveth the Holy Ghost to them that obey him. And Peter didn't want to miss this opportunity. He didn't want to miss it. He wanted to obey his master. And I can see him coming to the side of the boat. And the waves were still rising and the storm was still blowing. And he swung his leg out over the boat. And other disciples maybe said, Peter, you're a fool. You're a fool. Peter had his eye on the Lord and he got out over the boat. And there's a moment whenever he lifted his hands from the boat. And he started trusting the Lord. He stopped trying to do it himself. He stepped out for God. Oh, how that has burnt into my soul during the week. Some soul here this morning, it's time that you step out for God. Step out for God. Step out of your comfort zone. Step out from your own desires and your own ambitions and step out for God. For the night cometh whenever no man can work. Step out for God. You know, Peter was a man that was always out. He's always out. He was a man that had many blunders, but he always was out. You remember in Luke 5, he says that he launched out. And here in Matthew 14, he stepped out. I wonder what you need to step out of this morning. Maybe some old habit you'd need to get out of. Maybe some old place you frequent, you'd need to get out of it. And Peter stepped out for God and he had his eyes on the Lord. William Carey said this, expect great things for God, but do great things for God. Peter was the only man other than the Lord that walked on the water. He wanted to step out. Friend, I want to say this life we have will soon be over. And every single one of us, as we heard last Sunday night, will stand before the Bema. And all of the opportunities that the Lord has brought across our path, we'll give an account of them. And I'll give an account of them. Would to God we would be men and women that would step out for the Lord. Step out. Step out on the promise. Get under the blood. Oh, friend this morning. Cast your eye on down. Cast your eye on down to verse 29. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Whenever you step out for God in whatever area it will be, step out in your bit of service for the Lord. The devil seemed to rise a storm even higher for Peter and the waves came and the wind began to blow more fierce than it ever came before. And he got his eyes off the Savior and he got his eyes onto the storm and he began to go down. I wonder, are you going down? I wonder in your Christian experience, you're going down. You've got your eyes off the Lord and you've maybe got it onto money and you've maybe got it onto your business and a multitude of other things and you're going down, you're sinking and this was the cry that came from Peter's lips, Lord, save me. 
The word is to preserve and the word is to deliver. Preserve me, Lord. Preserve me in the midst of this trial. Preserve me in the midst of this storm. Preserve me. Deliver me. The psalmist could say, He preserveth the soul of his saints. I'm finished. There's not only the desperateness of Peter, but there's the faithfulness of the Lord. Cast your eye to it. Verse 31, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. That word is to grip him. It's the same word that's used in Mark 8 whenever the Lord Jesus, it says, took the blind man by the hand. And I want you to see Peter, he's out in the waves. He's wet and he's weary and he's worn out and he sees the Savior, he sees the, the wind and the waves blowing against him and he gets his eyes from the Lord onto the circumstance and he starts to go down. And that very moment he cried, Lord, preserve me in the storm. Help me, Lord. And immediately, at that very moment, the Lord stretched out his hand and caught him, gripped him. I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. I tell you, Peter wasn't going to go down, and he'll not let you go down either. This was the mighty God. This is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Is it any but wonder Peter could say in his epistle, we're kept by the power of God. In the midst of it all, the hand of the Savior was upon him. The psalmist could say, The Lord upholdeth them that fall and raiseth them up again. You've maybe went down during the week and you began to sink and you've lost your footing. But I praise the Lord this morning. He's the one that upholdeth all them that fall and he raiseth them up again. The hand of omnipotence. The hand that casts the stars into space. The hand that holds the galaxies in the palm of his hand caught hold of Peter. And the one who heard him and the one who helped him was the one who held him. Oh, thank God for that. That maybe doesn't excite you this morning, but it excites me. That means that I can go down into this week and whatever comes against my way, whatever storms blow in the home, Whatever trials come in my life, there's one who hears. There's one who helps. And thank God, there's one who holds. And I can call on mine this morning. My Savior. I came across this hymn. Are you now in the depths of sorrow? Listen to this. Are you now in the depths of sorrow? Where no arm can reach so low? There is one whose arms are mighty. Reaching beyond the deepest woe. God eternal is your refuge. Let it still your wild alarms. For underneath your deepest sorrows are the everlasting arms. Other arms grow faint and weary. He can never faint nor fail. He can reach us in our trials. And shelter us from every gale. When they saw him. Oh, this message maybe doesn't apply to you today. Maybe apply to you tomorrow. The storm in the home. Storm in the health. 
storm in the mind. And the gale's just starting to pick up a wee bit. The clouds are just starting to gather. And you've stepped out for God. And you thought all would be well. And you're sinking and you're going down. Lord, Lord, will you help me? Will you preserve me? Immediately. Immediately the Lord stretched forth his hand and gripped him. And it says whenever they got back into the boat in verse 32, and the wind ceased. Struggling saints in the storm. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. I'll tell you, he knew all about storms. Whenever he went up the dark path to Calvary, and from the track he turned not back, he knew all about the darkness. He knew what it was whenever the, the forces of the enemy gathered round him. The bulls of Bashan have come past him. It was there he went into the darkness in those three hours of Calvary, and there was none to help. There was none to draw near. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's not one of you in this meeting could say that today. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions I feel not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be.